Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Buffalo Shots Podcast. Hello once again and welcome to another Horror Shots podcast with me, Casey. Of course, this podcast is brought to you by the lovely people over at MorbidlyBeautiful.com. If you are unfamiliar with MorbidlyBeautiful.com, then you gotta really check them out. If you're listening to this podcast, that means you probably love horror. If you love horror, then you should probably check out MorbidlyBeautiful.com. They're your one-stop shop for everything Horror in pop culture. And when I say everything, I mean everything from interviews to retrospectives, reviews, and any kind of article that you can really think about they have on there. I would highly recommend going there right after listening to this podcast or even while you're listening, go browse it. Can't hurt. Go check it out. See if anything strikes your fancy. Uh, Of course, if you have missed the last couple of episodes and you will be a little bit surprised to find out that I just launched yesterday, or maybe a couple days ago at this point, my latest project. It is called By the Candle's Light, which is a storytelling podcast. Over my 30-odd years of existence, I've written quite a few short stories. Some of them published, some of them not. Some of them are my own little inventions that have sat on my hard drive and done nothing in the past 10 years. So I thought I'd do something with them. I converted them all into a narrative that can be used As a podcast, it is very similar to an audio drama. If you've listened to anything like The Amelia Project or Girl in Space, then you will know what an audio drama is. It's kind of a narrative. It's a storytelling process. Except I won't have much dialogue. It'll be very character-driven, focusing on a certain aspect. Some of them will have morals, some of them won't, some of them will just be stories. But they're all going to be horror. The first couple dropped the day before Halloween. So if you haven't checked those out, go check it out. Leave a review there if you like them, and let me know what you think. I had a lot of fun writing and recording and producing all these, so I really hope that you had a good time listening. And the same goes for this podcast. Drop a review on iTunes or Stitcher if you like what you hear. It always helps. can never hurt. The more reviews, the better. And I don't know how to improve if you guys don't let me. And if you really think the show is great, leave a five star. That's all I ask. Nothing crazy, nothing out of the universe in terms of asking. But enough rambling about what I've got going on. Let's go to the podcast, the Horror Shots podcast now, and talk about this week's stop on the eerie United States. Yes, we are continuing on, and we are now into the F states, and that brings us to Florida. Now, Florida is definitely no stranger to some weird happenings. Pretty much if you look up any weird news website, the first three stories are something to do with Florida. It's just a crazy state. I don't know why. It just happens to be filled with a bunch of interesting people who like to do interesting things and get caught doing said things. But we're not going to talk about those kind of things. Today, we are talking about something inhuman, something supernatural, something unknown. Okay, maybe not super unknown. It is a story, though, that dates back hundreds of years. There's no real definitive answer as to when this legend actually became a thing. It is 
said that perhaps it dates back to pre-Native American time. And of course, I can't be talking about anything other than the skunk ape. Now, who or what is the skunk ape? Well, I mean, it's a pretty straightforward name if you think about it. The skunk ape is a giant ape humanoid-like creature who lives in Florida in the Everglades. Very similar to the Sasquatch, except it's very isolated and comes with a horrific smell. People have described many different smells when they've come in contact with the skunk ape, from garbage to garbage mixed with a wet dog, mixed with who knows what. Everybody seems to have a little bit of a different experience, and maybe that's because it wasn't the same weather. If you've ever had a dog that decided to go for a swim and then come back in the middle of summer when it's 100 degrees, you are very familiar with what that smells like. Now, I guess amplify that times a thousand as this thing lives in the Everglades, which has a lot of moisture, and Florida, which is generally a very warm state. Put the two together, you get a very stinky, giant, ape-like man thing, which is a great name for a band. So you can take that if you want. Just let me know if you do, because I would not really want to listen to that music. Anywho, the skunk ape is said to be about 6'6 to 7 feet tall, weighing in at more than 450 pounds. It's very hairy, very smelly, and it does roam around the Everglades. Now, in my research of this, I've come across, like I said, dozens of different stories and different encounters. They're all very similar to what Bigfoot has to offer, in the sense that just sort of randomly appears, and if somebody has a camera, they'll get a very blurry picture of it for some reason, because it's never a photographer who's out there trying to capture this thing. It's always somebody with a cell phone made in 1996 that just got a little camera on it. And you can't tell if it's Bigfoot, the skunk ape, or their neighbor Fred, who just happened to fall down a hill or something. Nevertheless, these stories all are very interesting. There's one that happened in 2000 just before Christmas, and a family awoke to a loud noise on their back deck. There was so much banging and pounding that it sounded like some overweight drunk was knocking over deck chairs. Like I said, drunk neighbor Fred. But with all that noise came something that couldn't possibly be human. A deep, low grunting, and with it a stench like something was rotting. When they came back to the window, they saw something they had never expected to see. There on their back deck was a great huge lumbering beast, covered in hair from head to toe. The family figured it was an escaped orangutan from the Lamb Zoo, which isn't too far from where they lived. But when the photos they took started making its rounds online, a handful of true believers in the paranormal had a very different explanation altogether. The monster on their deck, they believed, was none other than Florida's own Bigfoot, the skunk ape. Now, I just want to go on a little tangent here regarding Bigfoot. A lot of people do write off that Bigfoot is a myth, that it doesn't exist, that it's explainable by other normal or natural phenomena, or that people just have an overactive imagination and want to believe a little too much a la Fox Mulder. And this reason I have used in the past when it comes to different legends that kind of span regions and even parts of the world. Why is there sightings? of a Bigfoot on two completely opposite ends of the continent. Now, I mean, there have been sightings up in Oregon, California, even up in BC in the mountains and the forests up there. So how does something that big and that supposedly isolated, that is very rare to find, 
make its way down to Florida. And I'm sure that there have been sightings in states all over the continent, from Midwest to South to East to Northwest. We know that they are being spotted. So why is it so hard to believe that there is maybe a very small contingent of these creatures just roaming around the United States or North America in general? I don't find it overly difficult to believe. But there's always the question is, why can't anybody ever really find these beasts? And it does appear that when you go looking, you never find. Well, if these are sort of the missing link, then they have to have some degree of intelligence. And if they have some degree of intelligence, and they have the heightened senses of an animal, perhaps they can sense that there are people there and they just don't want to be seen. And when they do get seen, it's out of necessity or it's out of a mistake. I mean, they can't stay hidden forever, right? The way I look at Bigfoot and the phenomena surrounding how we never find him and get definitive proof of the species in general is that, well, let's give you an example. Say you were looking for your friend, okay? You guys got dropped in the middle of a city, let's say New York, but the city is completely abandoned, right? And your friend is purposely trying to hide from you. So a city that is full of terrain and buildings that go way up into the sky and even underground in the sewers and into, you know, the the subways. And he was trying to, you know, not be found by you. And you're trying to find him. Do you think that you could find this human being? If you spent all day, every day for 20 years, do you think you'd ever find this guy? And you're not a professional tracker. And even if professional trackers were out there, they would still probably have a very difficult time trying to find this person. And that's the way I equate Bigfoot. If he doesn't want to be found, or the clan, or the species doesn't want to be found, then perhaps we just will never find it. And that's why it's always an accident that people come across the beast, or the Bigfoot, or the Sasquatch, or the skunk ape, whatever you want to call it. Because they just happen to be walking and they bump into each other. But if you go out there with a bunch of tents and equipment and start setting things up, you probably get a little frightened. You probably go, hey... I don't know what that thing is, but I know it's probably not good for me. I'm going to bail. Just my theory on the whole Bigfoot thing. And it's very, I think it's very irresponsible to say that it doesn't exist just because you haven't seen it. If you can have reports 5,000 miles away from one another, then perhaps there is just that small little hope that this thing does exist. And tangent over, let's get back to the skunk ape. Every cryptid, it seems, has its Captain Ahab, if you will. And in the terms of the skunk ape, we cannot go any further than talking about David Sheely. And he is the self-proclaimed Jane Goodall of the skunk ape. And he runs a skunk ape headquarters down in Florida. And it's a research facility focused on proving that these creatures are real. He says that he poured his life into proving they exist since he spotted his first one at the tender age of 10. I do have a quote here from him, and it goes as such, quote, It was walking along the swamp, and my brother spotted it first, but I couldn't see it over the grass. I wasn't tall enough. My brother picked me up, and I saw it about a hundred yards away. We were just kids, but we'd heard about it, and we knew for sure what we were looking at was it. It looked like a man, but completely covered with hair. There are also videos and some pictures taken by David and other people 
around the Florida Everglades area. So there is some evidence, you could say, regarding the good old skunk ape. In essence, the skunk ape isn't too different from Bigfoot, other than a few unique charms. It roams exclusively through the Everglades, and it smells. They're said to be also very peaceful and somewhat kind. Sheely describes the smell of the skunk ape. As I said before, many people have different feelings about what it smells like, from garbage to rotting to wet dog, and he has it as kind of like a wet dog and a skunk mixed together, which... I've kind of experienced when I was a kid when my dog got sprayed by a skunk in a rainstorm. So that's not a very pleasant smell, especially when it lingers around your house for five days. There is one very well-known skunk ape sighting, however, and it's the earliest and it's probably the well, most well-known of the modern skunk apes. We'll get into the history of it a little bit later on. And that happened in 1957 when a pair of hunters claimed that a gigantic smelly ape invaded their camp in the Everglades. Their story picked up traction and it spread and the creature started to pick up its own unique name inspired by its distinct smell. Dozens of sightings followed. In 1973, a family claimed they saw a skunk ape chase their child off a tricycle. The next year, another family claimed that they hit one with their car and they had the hairs in the fender to prove it. I'm not sure if those actually went to a lab or anything of that sort, but that'd be interesting. Later on, in 1977, a whole tour bus full of people claimed they saw a quote-unquote swamp sasquatch. They described it as a seven-foot, red-haired ape running through the Everglades. There were 30 or 40 people in all who saw it, and they all told the exact same story. And later that same year, a woman saw the skunk ape jump in front of her car. It was a shaggy-looking and very tall beast, maybe six and a half or seven feet tall, she said. The thing just jumped in front of my car, unquote. Now, as I said, this legend does go back further than just the 50s, and it's believed that it goes back even further than the 20th century, with the Muscogee and the Seminole tribes that lived in the Everglade Forest before European settlers arrived claim they have been seeing the skunk ape in the woods for hundreds of years. They call it Esti Kapkaki, or the tall man. He is the protector of the woods, they say, and he keeps away those who would damage the forests. Even when you don't see the Florida skunk ape, they believe he watches you, forever vigilantly gazing over those who enter his domain and use his mystic powers to vanish into thin air. Now that quote comes from allthatsinteresting.com, not my words. I wouldn't say something like that. I don't believe that that sort of mysticism can really go hand in hand with Bigfoot. Uh, I believe that there is a Bigfoot, but I don't think that he can just snap his fingers and Thanos himself away, essentially. I mentioned earlier that there were a lot of photographic or videography that has taken place of the skunk ape. Now, apparently that photograph taken back in December of 2000 is one of the best known images of the creature, but it is far from the only one. There are countless photos and videos allegedly depicting the skunk ape and they all circulate on the internet at one time or another. And there is even one from the infamous Dave Sheely himself. Sheely, in fact, has a whole facility full of skunk ape evidence, including a cast of a four-toed footprint. And he claims that was left right next to his hunting camp. Take that for what you will. He does claim, though, that his video is the ultimate proof 
He filmed it in the year 2000 and claims that it shows the skunk ape wandering through his swamp, moving at speeds that would be impossible for any human being to achieve. And of course I have watched the video, and as a photographer and amateur videographer as well, I can safely say that... How do I put this nicely? Was he drunk while filming this? He seems to be completely stationary, he's not running after the creature, he doesn't even appear to be walking after the creature, yet the camera seems to be swaying and jolting and jumping and doing every trick a dog would do for a treat. Now it does stabilize about a minute and a half in of the, to the two minute long video, but the first little bit is inexcusable and it doesn't look like the creature is running super fast. It's moving for sure, but I don't think we can say for certain that it's moving at a speed that a human couldn't. And it's very far away. We're talking, well I can't put a number on how far, it's a pinprick in the distance on the video. We're talking maybe 20 pixels tall, if that, and it's from the year 2000, so the quality is definitely not what it would be today if you took out like a Sony AR7 III or something like that, which is a shame, but you know, it's still videographic evidence of something out there, be it the skunk ape or be it a guy in a suit, which is always the common thing you can say when something like this happens. Now, I do want to point out one thing that I don't like about this video. And that is the fact that it comes from somebody who has dedicated their life to finding the skunk ape. Whenever anybody says that they dedicate their entire life towards something or that they are passionate beyond belief or they're obsessed about a certain thing, especially something that may or may not exist and trying to find evidence about said thing, I always find it skeptical when they do find something you never know when the person goes, I've had enough of people saying that this thing doesn't exist. I've had enough of people saying I'm crazy. And so they go and fake it. I'm not saying that's what Dave Sheely did, but I'm saying that is a possibility. Everybody has a point where they will break. Everybody has that point where they go, enough is enough. I know this is real. I've seen it with my own two eyes, but I haven't seen it again, and I haven't been able to replicate it. I haven't been able to get any proof. No physical evidence exists. So what can I do to get people to believe? And so they nudge them in the right direction with a little bit of cinematography and a little bit of movie magic, if you will. Again, I'm not saying I don't want to point any fingers, but that is something that could be real. That could exactly be what is happening with this footage. And the Smithsonian even kind of agrees with me here. And they say, quote, it is extremely hard to watch this video and see anything but a guy in a gorilla suit. But little institutions like the Smithsonian won't deter people like Dave Sheely. He has his beliefs and he feels that he caught the legitimate skunk ape on camera. When it comes to scrutiny in terms of this evidence, not a lot of it stands up. The National Park Service has called Sheely's skunk ape evidence extremely weak, while the Committee for Skeptical Inquiries has said it's almost entirely eyewitness testimony which is the most unreliable evidence that you could possibly have. And as somebody who was, you know, a budding private investigator at one point, that is very true. Eyewitness testimonies don't really hold up in any sort of court. They're the least and weakest part of the evidence in any trial because people's memories are garbage. People just remember what they want to remember. They hear what they want to hear, and they are very susceptible to suggestion. And it has gone on to show that 
In various studies, people who believe in paranormal creatures like the skunk ape or Bigfoot are more likely to engage in magical thinking and less likely to internally reflect on what they've seen, which is a shame. As I said, it's very easy to fall into these traps and believe a little too hard and just kind of draw conclusions from things that aren't there. It's kind of how every great conspiracy theory comes to be. But that does bring us to the end of the Skunk Ape episode. I really hope you enjoyed this one. I really did like doing the investigation on this and going into it and researching and whatever. It was a lot of fun, and I've always been fascinated with the Skunk Ape ever since I saw it featured in an episode of something called Freaky Links that aired back in like 2001. I love that show. It kind of reminded me of like a more fun X-Files, not as serious, I suppose. Regardless, that's where I kind of got that idea from, and I was really excited when Florida came up because I knew that the skunk ape lived in Florida. But that is all I have for you this week, so until next week when we take a look at the next state in line.